Welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast, your guide to help you manage life, money, and multiples. Each episode, host Paul Fenner, Tama Capital's president and founder, and the proud parent of four amazing children, including one set of triplets, will provide insights on successfully sustaining an active lifestyle, career, and family through comprehensive wealth management strategies, financial education, and lifestyle planning specific to parents raising twins, triplets, and more. Learn more, subscribe to the show, or connect with Paul at TamaCapital.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Tama may retain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Aren't we all selling something? Our time, ideas, or influence? But what are we selling to our kids as parents? Jay Rook is charting a new way to become a salesperson to our kids as parents. He calls it parenting with comedy, otherwise known as gonzo parenting. Jay is the father of twins who considers parenting a full contact sport. I couldn't agree with him more. Being in the thick of the messy, authentic, barely controlled chaos, sharing the humorous moments and humbling lessons learned, reminding other parents that not one among us has their crap together, no matter what we see on social media. And that's okay. This is the essence of what Jay has created at Gonzo Parenting. A formula that that Jay and I discuss when it comes to parenting is this. Parental happiness equals self-care. To make this formula work and to be a successful parent, you must fill your own bucket. You must pour empathy, compassion, and time into your spouse or partner. Although it takes a village to raise a family, it takes an entire community when raising multiples. Please enjoy my conversation with Jay Rook. All right. Well, Jay Rook, welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Paul, thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. So um, I am excited to have this conversation. And now I have to... Amanda Zelahes... I can... Husky, I think. Can you pronounce Amanda's last name? I think it's Zella Husky. Zella Husky. Yeah, I yeah. should because she's a Notre Damer too. Uh, I, I'm just a big Notre Dame fan. She actually went to school there. I got rejected twice. <laughs> but she's the one that that introduced the two of us uh, yes. probably sometime late last year, beginning of this year. And then I ran into the buzzsaw called tax season and we put mm-hmm. off our, our conversation. So I'm, I'm really glad to, to have you on and uh, talk about what you do at Gonzo Parenting and just being the, the parent of multiple kids, including a set of twins. So Yes, totally. Thank you. No, Amanda's amazing. She's a, a fascinating expert. And we had a great chat about uh, sort of emotional intelligence and emotional wellness and healing coming out of the pandemic and some of the stressors that parents have been through. So it was eye-opening. Yeah, there's no, uh, there's no shortage. In her podcast, uh, uh, Pandemic Parenting is, is a great one. And I'll, I'll link to that in our show notes as long, along with uh, Gonzo Parenting. So I think the best place for us to start, Jay, is to have you walk our audience through what is your background and how did you end up starting Gonzo Parenting and what is Gonzo Parenting? Yeah, thanks, Paul. I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, so I think the best way to, to introduce it is I'm the uh, unlikely leader of this tribe. And, and I say so because, uh, you know, yes, in my background, I was born a, a single, a only child of a single mom. And so I had never spent any time around children uh, in my life for the most part prior to having my own. And as a you know, two person household growing up, it was always like very quiet and peaceful. And if I wanted to, 
you know, have friends over or something like that. It took work. And then, so what ends up happening is, uh, you know, uh, I've, I've now got seven year old boy, girl, twins. My wife has twins and, uh, we're thrown into the deep end of parenting and I'm realizing, holy crap, like I am way out of my element here and this is crazy. And, uh, just being completely overwhelmed with the, the parenting process at that point. Uh, and, and so what I was doing is I was doing uh, entrepreneurial and personal development coaching. I've been doing that for roughly a decade and when working with people, and as I started to go through my own personal struggles with making sense of parenting and dealing with the stress and all the overwhelm and, and, and all the feelings that come along with that, uh, I started to post more and more uh, uh, online and started to get a little bit of a following. And what it made me realize was that lots and lots of other parents were in the same straits, but no one was really talking about it publicly. You know, parents were trying to do more of the perfect parenting around, look at the, you know, the perfect uh, yep. Halloween cupcakes <laughs> that I made for each of my kids with matching outfits that I knitted. And I'm like, I'm just trying to like get food on the table today. And, and so I, I launched this Gonzo parenting community. And then the whole point of it is basically being able to come uh, and show up as you are. And so what we're trying to do is, is find uh, comedy and uh, catharsis through the community. And so it's lots of parents sh sharing their stories about, hey, you know, I was bringing my kid to school today and puked all over me. Or, you know, my kid's got an M&M stuff up his nose. And now I'm, I'm sitting here at the ENT's office and, and dealing with it. And, and what I started to, to realize was that I... Uh, the parents themselves were, were showing up and serving each other and creating the space to show up authentically and really own what it looks like uh, unapologetically to be a parent in, in modern times. So do you, so you have a set of, of twins and how old are, how old are they now? Seven. Yep. Seven. And then are, are those the only kids do you have? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I couldn't remember if you did the uh, twins plus one route or just stuck with the twins. So, cause it, that's usually, that's no, usually, I, I got a good story on that though. So we're, we're in the NICU. Good. Oh, no, go. I, I was just going to say, I get that question often about, you know, having triplets and then the plus one and like, are you, were you guys, you and Teresa like crazy. Right. I'm like, well, it's not that you plan for multiples, number one. And number two is we didn't, we didn't plan for number four either. I just wanted one. And, <laughs> you know, we were that prototypical parent or couple that, got the, the diagnosis from the, you know, fertility doctors. It says, you know, say like the chance of you having kids are basically slim to none. So you should yep. consider other options. And then lo and behold, we have these set of triplets and, and, yes. and most people know they're, they're not only set of triplets, they're really unique in that it's a, a girl and identical twin boys, oh. which hardly ever happens. And then we're like, okay, I guess we're done. And then yeah. two years later, uh, no, you're not done. Those, those, <laughs> those, those darn doctors had lied to me again. Yes. Oh, that's crazy. And so, uh, but yeah, we spent, and I, I want to get to your story, but I, yeah, yeah. we spent six, six weeks in the NICU as well with, with, um, with our triplets. Even before that, uh, Teresa was basically bedridden for the last two to three months of, um, right. her pregnancy. Yeah, yeah. And we spent the almost the entire month of November at the University of Cincinnati's Children's Hospital yep. uh, on the cusp of not knowing if we were going to, you know, have these babies or not. And yes. so it's um, very, very, it was a very traumatic situation. And um, yeah, I did a post a few weeks ago um, about the Ronald McDonald house. We stayed there at, yep. at University of Cincinnati. And that's a, that's a uh, dear and special place uh, in, in our heart. So, but I'll, I'll turn it back to you because you may have a better story. <laughs> no, for sure. And, and let's make sure we chat about the, uh, the trauma of having multiples later, because I, I think, you know, lots of, of, of singlet parents have the similar experience as well, but there's a different type of, uh, 
uh, emotional collateral damage that, that comes with it. But yeah, so we're in the NICU as well. As you know, most, uh, most multiples are and, and premature and need some level of extra help. And so the nurses are chatting with us and they said there was this couple that had triplet girls. Um, sorry, no, they had three girls and they wanted to try for one more time to see if they could get a boy. And homeboy ends up with triplet girls. And so I'm like, this guy has to spend the rest of his life with seven women in the house all of the time. And, you know, just the overwhelm of now I've got three more kids coming out of this. And that just cracked me up. And I'm like, nope, we're going straight to the vasectomy doctor straight out of this. Right. Yes. Yeah. You know, you hear stories about that, Jay, at least I'm sure you hear them because you're you're father of multiples. I hear them because I'm a father of multiples. And you're like, that's not going to happen to me. That's not like that's not in the cards. And like, and then bam, then you hear these stories, and then, then like this plus one happens to us. And yeah. you know, we love Mac. She gets a kick out of being the plus one sometimes, not always. Right. But uh, wow, that that is a hell of a story. Do 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 your triplets team up on her? Yeah, we're to the point. So my triplets will be twelve in December, and Mackenzie uh-huh. is ten. And right now, yeah. the two girls really do not like each other at all. And yeah, the, the, she's definitely odd woman out because the, the triplets do tend to team up on, on her quite a bit. Right, right, totally. And I love watching that sort of Lord of the Flies aspect unfold where I'm sure she's like at times, she's like, I will shank you if I could. You know? Right, exactly, exactly. Uh, yeah, it's and, it's and we're at that those ages now where it's like, oh my God, just give us, just give us a break. So yes. I know hopefully... So we're, we're taping this in the end of June, but we're, we're heading out to a fireworks display tonight. So just our, our family is sick. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Fingers crossed. Cause usually it's an event that just Teresa and I go to and, and now uh, we're, we're bringing all of them along for the ride. So Godspeed. <laughs> yeah. So actually let's, let's go there. Like one of my first questions I wanted to get, get to you was what do you believe are a few of the specific challenges that that parents face as parents of multiples, whether it's twins, triplets, because I tend to get this question a lot and I answer it sometimes in a personal manner. And then sometimes I've got my financial advisor hat on and yeah. I'm answering it in a financial matter. So right. I'd love to get your take on, on what you think that is. Yeah. So, so I'll, I'll uh, begin by way of a story. So, so back in the day, like maybe 20-ish years ago, uh, my wife and I wanted to get a uh, Bernice mountain dog and uh, I was chatting with the breed and I really wanted to get two. And I'm, and she's like, uh, I won't sell you two. I'm like, why not? And she was, I've seen it happen enough times before she was, especially for first time dog owners. She said, what ends up happening is instead of uh, one dog focusing as you, on you as the leader of the pack, they focus on each other. They never listen to the owners and the people end up trying to bring one back to me and say they can't control them all. So, you know, fast forward 20 years later, <laughs> have, have twins. And I realized, oh, she was right. And then, you know, they, they team up 100%. And there's a different relationship, I think, uh, from tw- uh, multiple children vis-a-vis their parents than singlets. And so much as, you know, they're thick as thieves. They, they started their lives together. Uh, spent a lot of time very close to each other in the womb, obviously. And, and they look out for each other so much. And so uh, it, it's almost like you're, you're fighting this little street gang of, of mini knees all the time. <laughs> And uh, minions, totally minions. And and I'm sure, yes, you've recognized as it gets more frustrating uh, in certain ways, uh, even though more fun as they begin to become more verbal, uh, their arguing skills get uh, quite honed. 
And it can become very frustrating. And then all of a sudden we realize, oh, wait, the reason why this is so challenging is I'm fighting a smaller, less logical version of me that knows every single button to push and where. Uh, so those have been some of my observations. I think that the final thing I'll say on that is uh, if you have kids that are staged at different ages, you're, you're working through different developmental curves at different times. And ideally, the older one can start to be more helpful and to the youngers. And then there's um, a bit of modeling going on. But I, I think one of the, the larger challenges is you're dealing with two people at a similarish developmental stage. And so there's just more of everything all the time and everything takes more. Um, the cool part is that once you get through a, de a developmental stage, if you're like myself and not having more kids, uh, you're permanently done with it. And so it's like, yes, all right, we made it through that uh, and, and now we're good. But I, I think... Uh, it's just navigating that dual dynamic all of the time. And, you know, as you know, every twin is different too. And so you're trying yeah. to speak to a crowd, but yet also needing to personalize the message. And I, I noticed that uh, I, I went out with uh, my daughter to a restaurant yesterday because my son was uh, doing some tutoring and I realized, I don't know if I've ever sat down with her for an hour, just one-on-one -on -one and had a full-on conversation, you know, without uh, him being around or all of us together in some way or another. And so it was fascinating to me to just notice how that, that dynamic changed once uh, it was one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. You bring up a couple interesting points, but I, I, one of the, as you were t telling your story, one of the things that, that Teresa pointed out a, a few weeks ago, I think she told me this, she, she's like answering the same questions for people that are asking her. And she said, when they were younger, it was more physical endurance, if you will. Like yeah. they needed physical attention. Mm -hmm. Now it's within the last year, she's like, she's like, it's gone like 180, where now it's all mental. Like uh -huh. they need all this mental attention and, and um, help and support. It's not necessarily like your physical, like changing diapers or potty training and right. like, I think back to those days where I'm like, oh, this is awful. I'm, I'm like, I'll glad, I'll be glad when we get out of the diaper stage. And now I look back and I'm like, well, maybe that wasn't so bad because they weren't <laughs> talking back to me. Yes, exactly. And, and I think that's one of the hardest things that I, I find is that I have to continually remind myself that I'm dealing with a group of people. And I love that analogy that you use that do not have fully formed brains. And I'm trying to talk to them logically like I would another human being, aka an adult. Right. And it's not working because, and it's not their fault. They're yeah. 11, 12 years old. And I think that's been, I'd say, one of my, and Teresa will probably agree with this, one of my biggest failings as a parent is treating them as, as much older than they actually are. Sure. And it's, and I think I, I do that because it's probably like a default mechanism because we're so outnumbered. Mm -hmm. And again, to your point, it's, it's interesting that Madison will defend her two brothers to the nth degree. Like they yeah. could go completely off the rails, do something totally wrong, immoral, whatever. It's like something bad. Yeah. And she'd be like, well, no, they're, they're okay. They're, they, they, you know, she would just defend them. I'm like, Madison, you know better. You know right. that they did something really bad. They really pissed off mom and dad. Yeah. And nope, she's right there defending them. <laughs> Classic. Love that. So when, when you're speaking with, with parents 
whether it's moms or dads, what are what have you found that helps us as parents of multiples overcome the continuous struggle, if you will? Like, is that is that some of the like the one-on-one coaching that you do with people? I guess that's question kind of one A and then one B would be like, how does that work in like the the group setting? Because I'd love to learn more about like this this gonzo parenting group that you have as well. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. And, and uh, before diving into that one, I, I want to just touch base on something you had said earlier around uh, talking to your children, you know, at age appropriate levels or whatever that might be. Uh, I, I feel that's another thing about multiples that it has really forced me to evolve a bit, which is uh, upping my communication skills and salesmanship and realizing that if I just walk into a situation uh, with my, my sergeant taskmaster hat on and being like, hey, why isn't this stuff picked up and you need to do your homework, et cetera. Uh, the revolt begins and now now we're butting heads and everything goes south quickly. Whereas if I can go in and learning how to sell it in such a way that they're excited about doing it and getting buy-in and, and some level of compromise, uh, I, I notice, you know, to, to when you were saying earlier about, hey, maybe you think it's a, a failing that you treated them older. Uh, we don't know, you know, that that could be a huge thing. Maybe, maybe they developed in an awesome way uh, around it. But I, I think treating them as if they were full stakeholder adults, uh, even if, if it means talking at a lower level, has been a big aha for me versus uh, more speaking down to them and more of a command and control uh, parent model and kind of you know giving them full, full autonomy and agency as well. Yeah, no, I would completely agree with you because when, when I have, when I feel like I'm having success with them, Jay, it's because I'm not talking down to them. I'm not being the, the dictator, if you will. I'm trying to, to, to give the more autonomy, if you will, uh, to help make make decisions and be a part of a group that's making those decisions. I think where we were running into problems is that there's four of them and two of us, totally and those even the four of them can never agree on the same thing. Right, right. Yes, definitely, totally. But yeah, so so, so back to your question. You know, as far as uh, working with parents and getting through those, those some of the, the daily stressors and things of that nature. The couple of things that I've, I've noticed both in my own experience, anecdotally, and in, in working with clients uh, is oftentimes something around perspective shifts. And we, especially those of us that were more type A or uh, career ambitious minded uh, prior to going into parenting, there was this very linear path around, you know, you do X, Y, Z, you hit these markers, you do these things, you get promoted, the business goes well, et cetera, and, and how much we would control our lives and have it structured. Whereas, you know, parenting is just constant chaos and the opposite of, of control and stability and foundation. And that was new to me. Uh, I, I had not spent really much of my life at all working in that type of a dynamic or living that way. And, and so that was a, a huge growth shift for me to have to learn how to make peace with constant uncertainty and move my focus from outcomes to the, to the energy that I'm creating. Uh, and I noticed like when, as a, a sort of symptom or a marker for me, when I'm drifting too far into the taskmaster side is when I'm starting to get more pushback, there's more just friction and, and all of those things. Uh, it's oftentimes when I'm pushing hard to get an outcome done more so than it is uh, honoring the energy of the house. So I, I throw that out as one. Um, and I think that another huge one is, is that parents oftentimes, you know, they're, they're rocking along with their lives have kids and they're like, all right, we're just going to try to squeeze this in and make kids work with our existing professional lives. And I, I think, you know, I don't know if all parents do this, but speaking for myself, it's kind of amusing to watch 
how many years will go before we finally realize, oh, wait, this is not going to work. It has not been working at all. And we've got to reshuffle the deck. Yeah, no, I would, I would agree with you. And that, and that's one of the, one of the biggest financial questions that a lot of families will ask me whether they have, you know, multiples or not twins or triplets, or just, they have like three or more kids. Cause that seems like the magic number is when you have three or more kids, it, it kind of takes on, you, you are in zone defense and zone versus man-to-man defense when it comes to parenting is a real deal. Just like, just like any sports, if you will, football, basketball, it doesn't matter. Um, and I feel like the big question is, okay, does one of us need to stay at home? And then the natural question is, well, how the heck do we afford that? Because right. you know we're, we're cruising along, maybe doing okay, dinks, do income, no kids, if you will. Yep. And now you know, we have you know, two kids or three kids and it's like, it's just, it's just not working. And right. that was one of the reasons why four and a half years ago, uh, we made a decision for me to transition full-time into my leading TAMA, if you will, because I, my, I had a successful corporate career before that. And as Tam was growing, it was becoming more and more demanding. And then we're then, you know, these four kids on top of it, plus Teresa's career. And like, it was like a three ring, four ring, five ring, six ring circus, if you will. And we, you talk about energy. We were noticing that, okay, our family dynamics are broken. They are busted big time. And Teresa and I sat down and like, well, what's going to change? And like, well, really only the one, one of the changes that we could do is for me to get out of the corporate world, focus squarely on, on Tama that would let, let me have the flexibility to be able to get them on and off the school bus or right. you know, on the school bus and then out of you know, aftercare you know, through the program through the school. And that was, that was a game changer for, for, for us because before that, we always had some structure with you know, in, in-house help. Mm-hmm. And when we lost that, um, it took a long time for us to realize how big that structure was. And, big time. And that's, that's the thing that I would tell parents with, with younger multiples or, or, or kids is, you know, have, have that structure. Kids do really well. And I know there's research out to that backs that up with structure. Yeah. When it's a free-for-all, that's when it really becomes chaotic. Definitely. Definitely. And even if it's just bumper guards, you know, loose structure to kind of keep the guardrails on, but otherwise, yeah, that vacuum comes in and uh, everyone's just doing what they want to, but all in different directions. Um, One of the things that we talk about to your point around uh, having some of that structure and support is uh, just doing a a complete model overhaul at some point. You know, I I feel like when we were talking about uh, kind of dragging on that prior life, we have that breaking point moment where it's all of a sudden like, all right, you know what? That is it. Family meeting, everybody in the dining room. And you know, like, all right, I want suggestions from everybody. How can we do this better? And, and how do we start uh, delegating a, a lot more and not carrying it all on our own? And what I'm noticing is was one of the biggest drivers of parental happiness at slash parental success is, is parents uh, doing the self-care and self-work that they need to do for themselves. And we'll consistently talk about how uh, we overextend ourselves all the time as parents and professionals, and then come into our house with not much left in our cup and afraid nervous system and limited patience. And then it makes everything harder. You know, the, the, the dishes become a problem and getting the kids to bed is a problem. And now 
the kids are in bed and we're laying on the couch, you know, completely depleted, uh, et cetera. And, and parents talking about, but you know what, when I do go for that half hour walk that I didn't think I had time to give to myself or the mani Petty or, you know, catch up with a friend, uh, I come home and although I might be that half hour or an hour behind, uh, I'm in good spirits and the kids pick up on that and everything just flows smoother. Uh, and then we're not having that resentful martyr type dynamic around like, oh, parenting sucks. I never get anything for me anymore. And, uh, that whole thing. Yeah, no, I would completely agree with you on that. And that's where I think for, for Teresa and I, over the last couple of years, we've really tried to give each other that space and empathy to be able to go out and do things with friends or do something alone. Because I mean, it's, it's easy to see right now. And it's been this, it's probably been easy to see for me for years and years why the divorce rate for parents of multiples is is so high. I mean, it I mean, divorce rates are high, you know, historically, anyways, but for parents of multiples, they go like in a strata, you know, strata, strata, stratosphere. What's the word I'm looking for here? Yeah. Stratospheric. Stratospheric. There we go. Thank you. Yes. Yes. High, high, high in the atmosphere is my point here. And it's because you you give say all day to your your job or career then you come home and automatically have to deal with kids that you know may or may not want you around yep. and then to your point at the end of the day what do you have left in the tank for your spouse right you know usually not a whole lot and Definitely. if if you're and and I have this conversation with with um families that have older children and I've been reminding Teresa of this as well it's like we better start learning how to, you know, really like each other again because when um, the kids are grown, the and the and the kids are out, the divorce rate again for for parents overall spikes. Yes, Why? Totally. Because you were so busy raising your kids for the last twenty years that you forgot to have a relationship with your spouse. Yes. And then when everything when that's all gone, you're like looking at the person like, who are you? Yeah. And, and totally. what'd you do with my spouse that I married like 20 years ago? Cause you're a completely different person. Yes. And, and, uh, I don't know what age it was for you, but it was somewhere around, call it age four for me when the kids were, were, were growing where, uh, I, I thought zero to four was just a gong show. I did not enjoy almost any aspect of that. I just felt completely non-useful and, and out of water most of the time. Um, and, and what started to notice as on a relationship level, was that my wife and I had become more like uh, coworkers? Co- yes, exactly. Again. And and so uh, one of the things that I've been cognizant of is once that play and the relationship goes out, uh, you know, things just flatten pretty quickly, and and then things just feel transactional, and, and it's just not where we used to be, like you said, pre kids. And so uh, I, I feel like there's two things that are really important, uh, both on an individual level, which is one, just making sure you know you got to spend the plates yourself, you've got to fill your own cup up. Uh, that's on, on each of us individually. And, and then as couples, uh, honoring that, like you said, having that empathy of saying, okay, I know we're both really whooped or tired or whatever it is. Let's do something just fun, playful, non-logical, because uh, in those initial years, uh, like you were saying earlier, it feels more like a production line and you're having to go to batch production and yeah. you know, scaling everything. And there's just so much doing to be done that uh, we fall out of alignment with the bean. So let's come back to Gonzo parenting and, and I'd like you to walk the audience through what exactly is it? You mentioned um, a group. So is that, is that what you lead? Is that what it's about? Or 
I'll, yeah. I'll just turn it over to you. Sure. So, so we, we've got a lot of uh, uh, irons in the fire right now. So gonzoparenting.com will give everybody all the overarching stuff they need. Uh, we created a comic strip, which has been a blast. And uh, I was a huge fan of, of Calvin and Hobbes growing up. So it's very much inspired by some of that. And we kind of just tackle and laugh at the insanity of parenting. Uh, we've got a podcast and it's a two-part podcast. The first part is just uh, kicking it with other Gonzo parents on a particular topic, uh, having some laughs and getting some comedy in, and then uh, bringing in an expert for the second segment on that same topic that can help us get better at our parenting skills or mindset or whatever that might be. And then we've got a, a real active uh, Facebook community, roughly, I think, 1,500 members uh, right now. Lots of engagement, lots of support, lots of people helping each other laugh. And where we're, we're moving to now is uh, around going into corporations and getting corporate speaking engagements and helping to work with, with working parents um, you know, on, on a corporate level and coming in and doing an hour, hour and a half workshop or speech type of thing. And then on the other side is, is doing one-on-one slash group coaching work with parents and helping them navigate this next chapter of their lives. I think going back to that kind of bleed over we were talking about earlier, most parents that I know are really well served by doing a full re-inventory of their life and who they are and where they're at once they become kids. Because I know in my case, I kind of held my prior image and led that through into being father. And it just wasn't working. I always felt like I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I was just measuring the work level that I was falling behind on without giving myself any credit for showing up as a father and being a parent and doing all of those things. And so uh, learning how do we move from compartmentalizing our work life and parenting to uh, how do we harmonize the two so that the, the two are serving each other and we're showing up in our fullness all the time and all the way around. And, and, and lastly, I think what's so fun about parenting in certain ways, and I'll say fun in air quotes, is <laughs> it, it's this opportunity to, to do that personal work that maybe we hadn't gotten to yet in life or that we tolerated along the way. And now we see it playing out with our children. And for many of us, that that becomes an untenable content or constant rather where we're, we're not wanting to uh, make the mistakes of our parents. And so there's, as we know, there's no real way to avoid that. It's like a, a slalom skier. You know, you're, if our parents were strict, maybe we become too soft with our kids, trying to give them the opposite experience. And then, you know, we go back and forth all the time uh, through the generations, but, but how do we uh, identify and carry over some of those good things that our, our ancestors gave us? And then how do we be cognizant uh, and deliberate about shedding and, and evolving around some of those things that, that perhaps don't serve us as well as a family unit? I, I know that there's a lot of families that, that listen to the show that, that don't have multiple. So the, the, what you, how you set up Gonzo Parenting is just that it's for parenting, whether parents, whether Correct. you have one, two, three, four, five kids or you know, twins or triplets or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. And, and one of the amusing things that happened in the group that I didn't uh, expect is that there's a fair amount of grandparents that kind of hang out in there. Wow. And, and I swear they're there purely for the schadenfreude of laughing <laughs> at the parents that are going through it and that are still in the thick of it. It's just fun for them to look back. And, you know, they'll, they'll always type some funny comments that are, are both a little bit uh, poking some fun at the parent that's going through it, but also encouraging. That, that's really interesting. I would have never thought about grandparents being involved. Yeah. Yeah. Same. So um, let's go back to that. Facebook group for a minute. Like sure. what's, what's the involvement there? It's just, do you need to join, join the group or yeah. is it like people just, cause I have this, like from a financial advisor standpoint, I have this love hate relationship with social media in general, but more so Facebook because it's a, 
human highlight reel of all your greatest hits. And that's what people use to compare each other against. And you're like, well, how did they afford to go on that new vacation? Or how did they afford to, you know, buy that new, you know, car that's in the driveway? Right. And so I, I sometimes I encourage people to, to stay off of it, but, the, but then you miss the good aspects of it as well. Yeah. Uh, I, I agree with everything that you're saying. And, and that's one of the most frustrating things I think uh, becoming a parent is those that are doing that personal highlight reel all the time. And, and it, it, Oh yeah. Cause you, like you said earlier, I think you have that, you know, parent that, you know, knitted like the entire Halloween costume and you're like, how in the heck did they do that? Totally. We're having a Harry Potter party. (laughs) And I went back in time and I've chosen like age appropriate courses for each meal from England in the 50, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, totally. Uh, Yeah. So we actually try to be the opposite of that. So that's why the group is private. Uh, And I know it's still, you know, Facebook has their, uh, their uh, privacy challenges and all of that stuff, but, but private, especially in so much that it allows parents to show up and share where they're vulnerably at, at that point without having to post on their personal real page. And what it's been a beautiful thing that's come out of that is how, how it encourages so many others to then chime in and speak that wouldn't have previously given themselves voice to that and allowed themselves that emotional place at the table. They would have been, uh, like you said, on that personal highlight reel, wondering why they're not that mom or dad versus here it's saying like oh great i'm i'm not the only one that's going through and oh the the way this this woman uh talked about you know the kid puking in the car today was actually really really funny and it gives me a, a it allows us to to step out of the um the heaviness of our specific existence and see our own humor and humanity in others uh and, and what we just really try to do is just drive a lot of comedy through the channel um and you know on what the ratio is but it's it's some balance around uh comedy and some around just kvetching and asking for support so that's, that's interesting that people, people will get that, that vulnerable inside of the group. Very much so. Very much so. Yeah, absolutely. Because I'm, I'm actually a part of a, a triplets dad private group on Facebook. And I think I've been part of it for at least three or four years. Um, actually, I've worked with um, some families now that, that I've met there that are now family office clients at Tama. Nice. And I, I've seen that from some of the dads there as well. The, you know, the sometimes just raw emotions that they they share because there's no one else to talk to like the situation they're in. Yep. And I've on one hand, I find it very compelling. On the other hand, you know, it is a little troublesome that you know there's there's nowhere potentially no one else for them to talk to or have have that voice because maybe, you know, they're having trouble at home where they cannot talk to their spouse about, totally. you know, uh, situations or topics and, yep. and, and not having another, you know, person to talk to you is, would be very difficult. Hugely. Unfortunately, I had uh, two dad friends commit suicide uh, over the last year. And I, I think it's a very real thing that's out there. And I, um, one of the things that we're really trying to do with Gonzo parenting, and it, it's a little gender different, but, um, Generally speaking, we're all raising kids right now in a world that has never existed before and nothing like nothing like any of our childhoods. And, and so there's a real challenge with that because we're, you know, it's a serious task at hand. And when we can't get footing and can't make sense of things and, you know, the whole world and, and country is going crazy, uh, where are we plugging in? How are we learning how to do this? And then I think for 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 dads in particular. Um, I don't have the stats on me, but they're off the charts as far as, you know, dads leaving families and people growing up without fathers or negative impacts from fathers. And so there's not a lot of really clean modeling out there for most dads. 
on how to become the dad they wish they had. And then also, uh, like you said, that, that sharing of the frustrations and not being able to turn to somebody and this uh, constant sense of trying to keep up that happy face, even though we're quietly dying inside uh, and, and also just needing to fill again, our, our own cups up uh, and make sense of all of that. So I think those, those groups, those dad circles, uh, communities, whatever it might be, are, are, are huge. And I'm, I'm also in a, a dads of multiples Facebook one. And it's interesting to me how tighter that group is for the obvious reasons of it's just, you know, a different, unique experience. Yeah. So as we kind of wrap up our conversation, is there, before I get to my closing question, I ask all of my parenting guests, uh, which you obviously fall into, Jay, is there anything else that we should know about Gonzo parenting? Anything else that's really um, essential that could help parents out there, even if it's just to get started and making a positive impact you know, on their families today? I, I think it's, it's doing an initial inventory uh, of what's not working for you right now and uh, understanding that and, and being able to put a name on it and point clearly to, is it I'm overwhelmed because I just don't have the, the time resources or the money resources? Is it that I'm uh, emotionally busted because this is just really hard and out of character for me? Uh, whatever those things might be. And, and then getting a list of what's the stuff that fills up your cup so that when that open window does come where you have a babysitter or perhaps a relative is in town and can watch the kids for a few hours. Uh, we're not looking at a blank screen saying, Oh, what should we do with our time now? And then, you know, I don't know if you ever had this experience, but my, my wife and I had some time off the other day. And instead of doing something cool that we keep talking about wanting to do, we just sat and trolled our phones next to each other for like a half hour. And then realized, wait, what in the hell are we doing? This is such a waste of time. Let's go and do the stuff that fills our cups up. Um, and, and lastly, what I'll throw out is, I don't know any parent that doesn't have to go through some personal growth evolution slash some healing process around whatever their own childhood wounds are and what they've carried through life. And so getting deliberate around seeing that vision and then creating baby steps to go after that. You know, most, some folks can do a complete overhaul and, and hit the stop button for a bit. Um, but I think that can be daunting for a lot of people. And so trying to identify what's the low hanging fruit and be deliberate about what we're pursuing and going after. I, I know before the podcast, you were chatting about your, your EA and enroll, enrolled agent uh, testing that you needed to do and some of those exams. And I find it peculiar that we'll spend our time in life studying for professional exams, going through colleges and four-year programs, and then uh, you know uh, post-secondary education. And uh, we don't do the same application when it comes to parenting. You know, we're just like, oh, right, I'll kind of pick this up along the way and figure it out. And it, and it tends to leave us being reactive almost all the time, which then sets us more into a, a fear-based model uh, where we're shutting down and trying to defend and play small. And the, the final thing I'll close on with all of this is that whole line around, uh, if, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And so- Oh, that's 100% true. 100% yeah, and, and I don't mean that just for mamas, you know, it's mamas and dads as, as well. Like, how do we get uh, ourselves happy? And I feel that that's the biggest gift that we can pass on to our children versus that other air quotes, parenting stuff that we might've been doing because we're modeling to our kids, hey, here's how to put yourself first in a really healthy, selfish way uh, and, and honor what you need to do. And hey, I'm now modeling humility. Hey kids, dad doesn't know all of this right now. I'm, I'm modeling vulnerability. Sometimes dad gets stressed out over these types of things uh, and being able to speak my needs and say something like, uh, it makes dad really happy when I can go golfing with my friends. You know, I don't want to raise kids that are 
thinking that every time they um, want to do something that pleases them, you know, they have to deny themselves or self-shame themselves the way that we can often do uh, as parents. And so I, I think sitting more in that modeling role of healthy behavior for ourselves versus that command and control top-down model. Uh, if we can move towards that, things in my experience tend to become much gentler inside the parents' head and in the household. That is, um, that is some really great and useful information. And I, I like, I love it because it's things that, you know, me personally, I can take away and look at how do I, how can I implement some of these things? Like that's, that's the thing I've loved about having this podcast over the last couple of years is having people on like you that can provide not only myself, but obviously the audience and other parents and families, you know, those tactics or strategies that they can begin to implement. And I think baby steps is, is the right approach to it. Like rather than like completely like uh, blowing things up or overhaul. And totally. that's been the, the, the best part of, of having this, this podcast over the last couple of years. And uh, so with that said, I, my, my closing question, I ask all my, my parent guest is what is the best thing about being a parent? <laughs> it is a good question. I'm going to go with something around experiencing love in its purest form in a way that I've never known before. And I think most parents would say that even if you know, you're, you're, you're deeply in love and have a, a great functional relationship with your partner, the, uh, the, the parent-child love bond is just, uh, it's just so pure and innocent. And getting to experience that while at the same time revisiting my own childhood through the eyes of my children and doing that self-healing and self-exploration has been uh, you know, maybe perhaps not a fun process all of the time, <laughs> but, but it's been the, the thing that has allowed me to uh, have more fun in the world and, and get more enjoyment out of it. Uh, and, and lastly, I'll say what blew my mind is kids are so much smarter than I thought they were. And so like we were talking earlier about, you know, as the brain has developed, maybe not, but their intuition and like wisdom is off the charts for me at times where I'm just like, you know, my, my son will give me some advice. And the other day he goes, dad, I've been thinking about how you've been stressed lately. And he goes, I was reflecting on it. And why don't you just hold this wand and wave it and then stop doing the things that give you stress? Wouldn't that make life easier? And I'm just like, in its utter simplicity, <laughs> this is beautiful. Of course. Like, why don't I do this? So, yeah. Oh, that is, that is sweet and awesome. That's incredible. That, that is incredible. And yeah. I think that's a, that's probably a good way to wrap up our conversation on that extremely positive note, Jay. So I can't, uh, I can't thank you enough for being on the emotional balance sheet podcast. And uh, we'll definitely put it in the show notes, a link to Gonzo parenting and, and how to, how to reach you. And um, you know, I'm, I'm sure this is the, the first of many conversations to come between the two of us. <laughs> Paul, thank you so much for this opportunity to speak with you and your audience. I hope folks got value out of it and would love to have them come over and check out GonzoParenting.com if they need some laughs. But thank you again. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Please visit TamaCapital.com to subscribe to this podcast or to connect with certified financial planner and registered investment advisor, Paul Fenner of Tama Capital. And please join us again next time on the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Mm-hmm.